Welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries as we are now in Exodus chapter 29. Uh, we're moving through pretty good here. We're going to be eventually coming to an end of the book of Exodus. But, you know, this book, again, as every book, has been so enlightening on the ways of God. You know, these were the beginning... Um, the beginning instructions of a lot of things that we've seen throughout the other five books of the Torah. But it started here because, again, this was the beginning of it all. And what we've been looking at in the past few chapters has been a lot of God's personal design touches of things. You know, in, in chapter 27, um, God uh, designed the uh, the altar for burnt offerings with the courts of the tabernacle. And then chapter 28, which was our last chapter, uh, was uh, which I titled Dressed for Holiness, which was God showing his fashion design, if you will, of the garments for the priesthood. And, you know, I had a few people who liked that one. And, uh, and so... Um, Again, we should like it all, though, because again, this is God's word. This is this is God speaking directly to Moses on on what to do. And as I was thinking about this uh, chapter twenty nine and where we've gotten so far, I was thinking of an orchestrator. That you know, in, in an orchestra, have you ever seen somebody? If you've ever watched an orchestra with many instruments, and and what's amazing is you have all of these instruments of different kinds and and quite a few different people playing. Music with different instruments. They're making, they, they make different sounds. Some are higher and lower than others. Some are wood and brass. Some are percussion. But what's interesting is, is that when they come together, they make the music perfect. But you know, you watch the orchestrator as he stands up there and he's directing the orchestra. He's moving certain things around and he's, and he's directing certain others to be doing this and to be playing this. But when everybody is on T, the, the, everything comes together in perfect harmony with the music. But if you notice, they're looking at the director, and that's what, that's what, uh, or the orchestrator, and that's what God is, is, is that we must be looking at God as the orchestrator, as He is directing us as His choir. And, and so we're looking at this now as we're continuing in such. And um, we're going to be looking at the consecration of, of Aaron and his sons. And, and uh, there's uh, quite a few verses here, so I better get started here. In, in Exodus chapter 29, if you have your Bible. And uh, I'm going to start off from verses 1 through 9, and it says, And this is what you shall do to them to hollow them for ministering to me as priests. Uh, take one young bull and, and two rams without blemish. And unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat and flour, or wheat flour. And you shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons um, you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and robe uh, of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the interior. Intracitely woven hand of Abdepod. You shall put the turban on his head and uh, put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with, uh, with sashes. Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. And you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So the instruction of the priests, and, and, and there's much to see here, but it is the way of raising one up in a position of leadership and service. 
God chose the priest through the line of Aaron. Moses was to carry it out first with a sacrifice, which you know could not happen unless there was a consecrated sacrifice, and then unleavened bread and cakes. And so, but first you had the consecration of the bloodshed, then the uh, then the bread for the fellowship. Because the reason being was is they, they couldn't fellowship with God unless the atonement was made first. You, you, you don't show up with dirty hands before, you know, at the dinner table, you know. But it continued with the washing with water. And again, this was a separated ritual to, the, to these priests. Only anyone in Israel could partake in a ceremony, okay? But this was for the priest. Now, we will see one day in Leviticus chapter 2 when it, when it came to the uh, instruction on the cakes, which is what they call the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2. And then we'll see uh, in specific then chapter 8 for the ceremonial washing part. But see, what this was, was this was a public thing. It was public as they washed at the door. All could see, just like the form of a public baptism. And that didn't happen until the New Testament, but this was a similar way of public recognition. So after every washing comes getting dressed, but, but not in just something out of one's closet, but special clothing provided by God. In the previous chapters, I, I talked about the people who dressed nicely in the churches out of reverence for the Lord. But this was a this was a design by God, so we um, so we that God also had fashion design in Him as well that we could see. Now remember when Adam and Eve. Now I kind of chuckled at this because I remembered when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and they went and covered themselves with fig leaves. Now if you've ever felt fig leaves before, man, they itch and they have a very rough texture to them. I was I was working in a yard not too long ago where I was cleaning fig leaves up and I picked them up and I'm like what in the world were they thinking? But you see what God did if you remember was is God went and clothed them in animal skins which was much more comfortable and durable. So God went and not only cleaned up the cleaned up their mess but he also gave them something more uh, comfortable to wear. The, the clothing of the priest was a design of their position putting away the sinfulness. And dressed in righteousness. And of course, to top it off, we had the anointing oil to be poured on the head of the priest. Now, this was a very important thing that was done. Anointing with oil was a symbol and a picture of the Holy Spirit. But the anointing was also spiritual. See, we, we anoint people with oil to pray for them over sickness and other things. But it was the Spirit of God coming upon the priest or anyone in the form of anointing. I mean, let's look at it this way. We, we, we can pour oil over anyone. But if the Lord does not anoint with his spirit, it was nothing more than a messy ritual. See, the Lord anoints for many gifts. Some time ago, I, I did a message out of Genesis titled, Who God Appoints, God Anoints. And that was true. Because we are appointed for different things, and that is great. But whatever God gives in the form of a gift, there must be an anointing. And, and with the anointing from God, if it's not an anointing from God, it's not going to go very far. Why? Because we can dress in the finest clothes. We can wear a three-piece suit to preach in behind the most beautifully crafted pulpit. And it will mean absolutely nothing if the anointing is not there of God. So going before the Lord, being cleansed, and then anointing will allow us to thrive in the calling. In, in the gift of the believers, we'll see the, uh, the blessings from the anointing. But do you, feel, do you feel or know what you have been anointed for?
If I may ask a personal question, do, do any of you know or feel what you've been anointed for? Now, if you can answer yes without doubt and certainty, then, then you know what I mean here. Because you have confidence and peace with God and, and the peace that God has given and anointed as long as we walk with him continuously. That's where the anointing also comes in is walking with God continuously. Just look at every, uh, just look at every battle that was fought in the, in the Bible. <laughs> Anyone who was walking close with God never lost. But when they were walking away from God, they always lost. So let's take a look here at verse 10 through 14 real quick. And it says, And ye shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall be put uh, their hands on the head of the bull, and they shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Ye shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the uh, base of the altar. And ye shall take all the fat... Uh, the, the covers of the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the, of the bull with, the, uh, with its skin and its uh, offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp for it is a sin offering. So, you know, the bull was the form of sacrifice here. The washing at the door was one form of symbolic cleansing, but as always, there was a more serious price for atonement of sins. Once a year at this time was the Day of Atonement. They call it Yom Kippur. Uh, for, and it was the Day of Atonement for all of Israel. And it, it will come to make, they, they will come to make atonement once at one time a year, and this was the way it was done. Uh, the priest would press on the head of the bull, transferring the sins to the bull symbolically, and then they would be sacrificed. Now, I said it before, they were, they were never killed and then, and then left, okay, because the sacrifices were used as food after in some parts that were butchered correctly. But people say, how can God request this as a way of atonement? Well, it gives you something to consider when sin, com when sin comes into mind. We do not have to do this because of Christ Jesus and what was done on the cross. But imagine having to do this to pay the penalty for sin. Because there are countries with man-made laws that have very draconian laws, but yet nobody questions it, right? Nobody questions them. Because some will even say, well, good for them. That's why they don't have the problems we have. But yet God is good and always right. And this was the way that he had it done and then and now. And he, and he brings the ram. And so I'll explain in verse 15 to 18. And it says, You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take the blood of and sprinkle it all around the altar. And then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them uh, with its pieces with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar... It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So why the ram now, right? The bull was in regards to the sins of the people and, and was an awareness of their sins. And that sin brings death to us all. But see, the ram was in the form of a burnt offering. It was in regards to the sins of the priests. Okay, for the priest and for them, as they laid their hands on the head of the ram and then killed and burnt on the altar as a gift to God. So that was mainly for the priest. Now, Noah, 
in the book of Genesis was the first ever to do this sacrifice after after the flood. He he did a burnt offering, thanking and praising God for the deliverance for him and his family, and it pleased God. But and as it pleased God, the key here was giving their best to God. Okay, to God who gives His best to us. Now, some may say, well, God never gave me his best. He took this from me. God never let me have this in my life. And we must keep in mind that our relationship with God is not, well, he's got me as long as I, I get what I want. If the blessings keep coming, I'll keep walking with him. That's the wrong view of God. Okay, and, and, and wrong views of God will lead to wrong views of everything in life. He is God that alone should be enough. Uh, think of a marriage when a couple says, I want to see what I can get out of this marriage. If I don't, then I'm done. And then, then there is the other, that both couples are wondering what they can do for one another in love and truth. And when that is done, now you're in business. <laughs> see, we fail to do that. We fail to do, the, to do that, giving God our best, because we fail to give him our love. We forget that what is prepared for us in eternity is beyond the greatest things on earth. In our time, in our time here, we are more concerned about the temporary when the eternal is more important. But God, being loving and perfect, wants abundance here for us as well. And and this was the means for achieving that back then. We can give God our best at, at all things, and He will see it and know it. And I want to give God my best in every chapter that I teach. But if I don't give my best in how I live, then this means nothing. Because how many live better than they preach? Well, God knows and it shows. Now, I've said that before. People were confused. What do you mean by that? By, you know, uh, living better than you preach. There are people, there are people that, that preach and teach uh, very, very wonderfully. They sound great, but they live, they live horribly behind the scenes in hypocrisy. And that's where it's at with that. You can sound great and be as accurate as possible, but if you're not living what you're teaching, then it means it means nothing. You sound good, but deep down inside, you're you're it's like bad fruit. Okay, eventually every fruit that exposes that it's rotten did so because it was rotting from the inside out. So that's where God gives us this. But in verse 19, and I'm going to explain 19 to 28 real quick. I'll just read a little bit of it um, where it says that you shall also take the other ram and heirs and his sons and put their hands on the head of the ram. And and uh, and then you uh, take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the um, right ear of his sons on the on the thumb of their right hand and on the uh, big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. And you shall uh, take some of the blood on that altar and some of the, of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hollowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And then he speaks of some other things on what to do with the uh, the fat of the ram and and, and how to, you know, basically um, some, more, uh, some more things on butchering it. Um... Basically, at the, as it speaks of seven days, you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy, and whatever it touches, the altar must be holy. But it also had to do with them doing this. And I have commanded you that seven days you shall consecrate them. So number seven is the number of completion or of perfection. So again, this was dedicated to the priesthood. 
And we today remember that this was in the old covenant within the priesthood. We hear holy or holiness and mistaken that a person is better. Uh, and, and, and no, again, holiness just means, sim- it means simply to be set apart, is, is all it is. It just means simply to be set apart. When someone strives for holiness, it means getting closer to God because unholiness means going further from God. An outsider could not eat the portions given to the priests because later on in the book of Leviticus chapter 22, see it instructs that if a priest has a a servant in their house or someone of their household that they could eat of the portions. Now, I felt led to, to make that known, but again, what is neat with that, with what God did was uh, by allowing all to partake through the death of Christ Jesus. Every day a bull was to be sacrificed for seven days. And it reminds them that no animal could take away their sins. It was like taking aspirin to alleviate the pain knowing that they had a brain tumor. It, it would help for a bit, but then it, it come back the next day, so another pill was taken, and, and you better hope that you don't run out. But see, Christ was the permanent fix, right? He was the permanent fix. Never a license to sin, but it was a better way to receive a once and for all atonement. And through that, we'll be able to approach the throne through him when we fall. Now, there is no outsider. When when someone is of the Lord... I make that known to I make that known to the first time here is of the Bible through this chapter to make known that that this was the standard of God uh, that He gave then to the priesthood and to the people of Israel. But there was a plan. There was a plan to bring all together to God through a perfect sacrifice. In that it was um, it was Christ Jesus. It, it, it was planned, it was prophesied, it came true. In fact, there was 350 or more prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by him perfectly. But again, even in these days, God invited the outsider. He invited the alien. It said, it said to the feasts of Israel, God chose these people and the nation as his nation, but he invited all to come and celebrate if they wanted to. Why? Because, let's face it, our God is a God of, of invitation, and an, a God of invitation to all men. Women or even children, that's our Lord, the God of invitation. So let's see here, verse 38 to 46. And it says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with the grain offering at the drink offering as in the morning of the sweet aroma, an offering made by the fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meetings and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God." 
So morning and evening, consecration was to be given. But now God instructs a drink offering, and, and, and that is uh, wine being poured out on the burning lamb or ram causing a smoke, uh, a smoke or an aroma. Th- that was a pleasant fragrance to be offered up to God and a representation of one pouring out themselves to God in that, bur- in that drink offering. Uh, the burnt offering would be continual, even during New Testament times it was being done. You know, I, I will meet you, said God. And so that's what they did and throughout even New Testament times. But see, God consecrated them by their worship and dedicated the presence of God and sanctified them because he met them there. The tabernacle was sanctified by his glory. And is your church sanctified? Is your home sanctified? Is your workplace sanctified? Are are you yourself? Am I sanctified? Right. That the question is for all of us. We can't sanctify ourselves. God said it Himself in verse forty four. I will consecrate you, the tabernacle, Aaron and his sons. Uh, the the Lord must be first in all things. As the priests were separated and consecrated to serve the people, it would not be effective unless God was first. See, this is to all people, not just the priests, but to all. God must be first. If, if we love someone or something more than we do the Lord, then he has an adversary. And God does not lose battles, and he does not take second place. He does not take second place. And God assembled and used the priesthood. But he continues it in our households. Are the men of the house priests in the household? And more importantly, is God over the house? See, the, the, you are in the house like the priest. We may be men of the house, but we're not over the house. God is over the house, and if he is not over the house, then we will not have a house. We may have a house, but it will not be a home. It will be a structure. Same with the church, okay? The, the church, just because there is a church in the area, it doesn't mean God's in that place. Now, I don't know if this was a joke or if it was a true story. But this uh, this story was based out of the great state of Texas. Uh, a man came into the church, and, and he was a cowboy. And he was dressed as a cowboy. But the church members dressed in the suits. In, in suits. Now, this kind of contradicts what I... It might sound like I'm contradicting what I taught in the previous chapter, dressing for holiness. But listen closely. The members of the church were dressing in suits for the men, and, and, and ladies were dressing in, in the dresses. And the leader came to him and said, If you're going to attend this church, you must dress in a suit, or you must dress like us. So the cowboy guy said, Okay, I will pray about that. So he came back the following Sunday dressed the same. He's dressed in his cowboy wear. <laughs> and the pastor came up to him and said, um, he said, I thought I told you how to dress here if you're going to attend. Did you pray to God? And the man said, well, yes, I did. And the pastor said, well, what did he say to you? The cowboy said, well, God said he wasn't sure what the dress code was there because he'd never been in that church. <laughs> and I thought, like, well, okay, well, was this a joke or was this, uh, or was this a true event? I've heard many stories. But nonetheless, there was something, there was something to be learned from both ends. Joke or true story, that is a good question. The question is, is God in the house? See, just because the place is packed, it doesn't doesn't always mean that he is. Nor does it if there's only a few people there either. See, let the Lord consecrate you. He is with you everywhere. Everywhere you go. 
You can have that by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, when He lives in you, He's there. Now, a packed church or a small church. See, there is no church. There is no big church. There is no little church in God's eyes. There's only His church. And that should be the church that we want to belong to. I've, I've learned that He allows some to be bigger than others. But any church that's teaching God's word, any church that's loving one another, any church that is, is caring for people, any church that, that is, following, is following God and has a close relationship with Him should be packed. It should be, but it's not. That is the one thing that should be happening, but it's not always the case. Many out there are packed because they have a lot of a lot of really neat things going on. They have comfortable chairs, and they have uh, a lot of programs, a lot of activities, a lot of functions, a lot of free food. Well, that'll attract anybody, I suppose. But what about the Lord's presence in general? Shouldn't that alone be the one thing that attracts us? And that's why I encourage that that a voice in the distance is a ministry for all, whether you're in church or not in church. Whether you're on the road or whether you can't go to church because you're incapacitated for whatever reason. I've had many people tell me that um, that they don't hear the whole Bible in their church. In fact, they don't even really get taught very well in their church, and I question why they're there. But for whatever reason, they, they, they're there for whatever their personal reasons. But you know, again, God put it on my heart to, to teach the Word of God for what it's saying. Not for what I want it to say or think it says, but just simply for what it's saying in its entirety. And, and to give that to the people with, with the offering of prayer, with the, the offering of receiving Christ, and, and whatever else that, I, that could be done, I'm more than glad to do so. Is God's presence in your life? Is God's presence in your house? See, He lives in you for those that have Him. But for those that don't, He can live in you when you invite Him. So I want to give the option. I want to give the option right now to receive the Lord and to let Him change you and to let Him save you and give you eternal life. And you thought to yourself, well, I've been to church numerous times. I've been going for years and that doesn't do it. Some might have even thought that while well, my family were Christian, my family, you know, my mom and dad knew the Lord, my wife or my husband knew the Lord, we don't, we don't get to piggyback on their salvation. It is personal between you and God. And I want to bring that to you right now. That you would have that personal relationship. That you make the decision that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Let's together right now, if you feel led, to believe and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You could say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins as I confess to you that I am a sinner, Lord. Father, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I ask, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to guide me and walk with me, Lord, as I draw near to you. I thank you for receiving me. As Lord, as I receive you now as my Lord, my Savior, and my Father, 
I thank you and love you, and I praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, that's my favorite part, you know. I mean, it's all my favorite part, but, you know, I'm hoping that there are people out there that have received him. And I've always said that if, if for some reason, if something should ever happen to me, God forbid, if something should happen to me recently, that this will still be out here in some way, shape, or form, leading people to him. Even if I'm in heaven, I want to make sure that somehow my work is still being done here. <laughs> and you could do the same thing. You could have a wonderful legacy. And that legacy can, can stay here on earth with your family, with your friends, with anyone who you've come across. But that legacy comes with you into eternity as well. So may God bless you and may he keep you. May you walk with him closely at all times. God bless you.